and I said it before, I've worked with more missionaries and pastors than you would ever believe. You just wouldn't believe. And I don't share their names because it's nobody's business. And I get real nice little notes back saying I was already involved in very successful ministry, but the thoughts in my head that would tell me what a fraud I am or what a loser I am or what a hypocrite I am or I'd be better off dead. Carl, that stopped. I say, welcome to warfare. Welcome to the All of Life show. Uh, today we have a guest with us, Carl Payne. Carl has an extensive uh, history as a pastor, uh, a chaplain in the NFL, and uh, has written a book called Spiritual Warfare. And as you can guess, the title is about spiritual warfare. So Carl, welcome to the show. Um, and we just want to, we want to get to your story, but there's so much here, and and I know we have limited time. So could you, though, unpack for us, how did you get into spiritual warfare? Because you are a pastor in a Baptist church, and I think the common thing today is that people think when they hear spiritual warfare and talk of demons, and they hear all of these things that have to do with the, the world of the devil, they think the Hollywood version that is a Catholic priest going to cast a demon out of a little girl, and... Uh, she has supernatural powers and she's her head spinning and, and that's that's one version or they think charismatic crazy backwoods church snakes and venom and drinking poison and just doing all kinds of crazy things so I'm sure this isn't the first time you've had this question but how did you actually get started as, as a Baptist pastor in this field great question uh, I'll, uh, I'll try and work through it I usually use stories to try and illustrate what I'm saying, but sometimes I can get so involved in a story that I forget the question I was asking in the first place. I'm 69 now instead of 30. So if through any of this I miss your question, you are not insulting me. You just draw me back or thank you very much, uh, but uh, here's what I still need. Uh, in other words, I will take all of that with a smile and, and uh, trust you to, to keep, it, uh, keep it on course if you would. So you certainly have permission to do that without any concern about me at all being unhappy about that, all right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. First question. Uh, yes, I'm ordained as a uh, uh, conservative Baptist pastor and through my work at Multnomah, my schooling at Multnomah School of the Bible in Portland and then uh, Western Seminary, uh, this whole subject about spiritual warfare was typically just kind of smiled at, maybe smirked at, maybe a little bit of rolling of the eyes. Uh, very much an assumption that as long as you read your Bible and memorize scripture and pray, that as a Christian you don't have to worry about any of this nonsense and if the charismatic side of our uh, uh, Christian faith, the groups there want to chase this, they can chase it all day long, but everybody knows they're just feelings oriented anyway and don't know the Bible, so you don't want to be associated with that or look like it, so just, just carry the flag and, and uh, just the sufficiency of scripture is all it takes uh, to keep you right in the middle of your Christian faith. Um, 
the problem was twofold, Stuart. One, I saw Christian people that loved the Lord, memorized scripture, read their Bibles, they're theologically sound, but they feel like they're on the outside looking in. And they're talking about things that are, uh, I remember the first young lady that, uh, and this ties into an answer to your story, that I worked with, um, I had no plans to do that. I didn't even know that was, I had worked with her for probably two years. She was her her parents were vocational Christian uh, workers, had been, uh, knew the whole family, loved the family dearly. This young lady had been part of a youth ministry uh, for, for you know, some time and uh, used to come over to my house with a glazed look once in a while and say, um, you know, I, I need to kill myself, I guess, because I failed God, I failed my, she was loaded on speed. Mm. That, that was her little drug of choice with speed. And uh, we would talk about the sufficiency of Christ, uh, uh, you know, what salvation means. I'm still convinced to this day she knew the Lord, uh, but she, she typically felt like she was on the outside looking in as a failure, and no matter what she did, it should have been something else, and no matter what she prayed, it could have been something else, and... I think she got quite a little bit of, you know, your prayers bounce off the ceiling, so why do you bother? And mm. you don't get enough out of your Bible, so why do you read it? And if God really loved you, why why wouldn't he take care of you? And I just, now I understand there was a lot of things going on. At that time, I for how many times my wife, I still remember, was sitting on the couch and she was cross-stitching, which I don't know if they still do that or not. But oh, they yeah. Used to be, my mom still does yeah. it. Lots and lots. <laughs> yeah. Well, Okay, well, we, she was cross-stitching, and my friend came in again and, and just basically said, I did it again, and I could tell as soon as I saw her eyes. And, uh, and I said, well, come on in, and, and we'll just work through again, you know, Scripture. And it would usually go for several months that she was fine, and then she would come in again. with. So I just figured it's just one more time. And she sat down in my front room, and, and uh, I approached it just like any good conservative Baptist pastor would have with working through Scripture and forgiveness, just the kind of things, you know, that you do. And uh, it just hit me. I, I, I just said, oh, I want to ask you something. I said, I'd like to read um, uh, some verses to you. And I said, maybe I'm just way off base on this. Now, if she'd have said to me, do you know what you're doing? I would have said no. But it just hit me to read. So I, I went to First John chapter 4, and I started reading verses 1 through 6. And I never got through verse 6, because somewhere through that, she reached up and grabbed my Bible. And I mean, I remember this day, she just started shredding the pages out of my Bible, which is not her at all. And then her fingers, I can't do what have her fingers got all contorted, and her eyes rolled up in her head where I couldn't see her eyes, just white. And then she started telling me to get effed, and that, uh, which she would have never done that, mm -hmm. and that Jesus Christ is an effing this and an effing that, and, you know, we're all fools. And, and I am now looking at something that says, no, my schooling told me this doesn't happen, this isn't even possible, and I am not part of the Christian circle that would say I'm looking for this. I'm closer to the part of it that would run from it because we're afraid of it, to be real honest. And uh, I, 
I, I said, you know, something like, uh, I don't remember now, it's too many years ago, it was 82 in February, but I just said, leave her alone, it told me to get effed, and, you know, you can't talk to me like that, well, F you, you know, and you're, 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 you're Master Jesus and just laced with profanity, and, and it was not this young lady talking, you know, it was something else. And so uh, my wife looked up from her cross-stitching. I looked over at her, and she looks at me like, what in the world? So uh, I called her dad, who was often the moderator of our uh, elder board, and a number of the elders, and I called several of the pastors from daughter churches. We had two daughter churches, and I remember one of our elders just, you know, he'd retired from Brazil after about 40 years on the mission field. And he came in and said, oh, I know how to deal with this stuff. I said, well, great, because we clearly don't. We prayed, we sang. I remember him getting down on a knee and he said, little, he said, uh, leave this little girl alone. And it said, get effed. And he kind of turned around and looked at me and I'm just going, well, apparently that didn't go the way it was <laughs> supposed to go. And uh, we spent somewhere, I don't remember now, it was either 10 hours or 12 hours with that girl singing, commanding, praying, and all we got, Stuart, was mocked all the whole time. And uh, so at one point, uh, one of the pastors who was over from one of the daughter churches said, I think it's just about our faith and our trust, and we just need to believe that we'll pray and God will answer it, and she'll be healed through our faith, and and something to that effect. And so we uh, prayed, and uh, and they very confidently said, uh, you know, leave this girl alone, and she went totally quiet. Now, she's on the floor fetal, all contorted, had foam coming out of her mouth at different times, and it was it was scary. When she got real quiet, someone said, look, our prayers were answered. And so everyone started clapping themselves on the back and high-fiving and praising Jesus, and and she's fine. And so, you know, they helped her up. And as she was getting up, uh, she turned around and looked at me and just got this Cheshire smile. Mm. Just, it was mocking. And uh, uh, I... I said to the person next to me, that thing isn't gone. It's just smart enough to go silent because it, it's probably tired of this too, you know? And so she went out the door and everyone was saying, praise the Lord. And uh, so I, I guess what I would say, brother, is that my intro to this certainly wasn't by choice. It was by surprise. And it just blew my understanding of what spiritual warfare, what was possible or not possible for believers. And, and uh, of course, there would be some that would say, well, clearly she wasn't a believer, and I'm hundreds of people and pastors and missionaries past worrying about that. Uh, I've, I've worked with pastors from mega churches that fly in, you know, that come in here to see me, missionaries that fly in even from out of the country, someone that wants to say not a one of them are, you know, saved. I say, well, if it blows your paradigm, so much for your paradigm. Your paradigm is man-made anyway. Mm. But uh, it just left me just kind of going, what happened other than we got mocked and humiliated? So I decided that night, that day, that if there was an education that I needed that I had not had, I won't say that my schooling was wrong as much as it was just incomplete. Mm. 
Mm. Um, there were there was nobody on apparently on either one of the campuses I went to that was comfortable trying to talk about it. So rather than say that, we just basically ignored it. And so uh, at one point or other, this young lady's dad got a hold of a missionary who had spent uh, 30 years overseas and worked with this regularly and had spent his 30 years pastoring at White Rock, in uh, White Rock, B.C., a Baptist minister. And uh, just as an aside, he and his wife worked with Ruth Graham Bell's parents, Billy Graham's wife. Mm -hmm. Her parents, people have heard, were missionaries in China. Well, this guy and his wife and, and, and Ruth's parents had worked together in China until Mao kicked them out in '48. And then he had gone to Indonesia and worked another 18 years in Indonesia. And then after 30 years of missions work, he pastored for 30 years in White Rock, B.C. And he just looked at me and he said, son, what did they teach you about spiritual warfare in your schooling? And I said, to make fun of it or to ignore it. And he said, you need an education. And so as one conservative Baptist pastor listening to another Baptist pastor who spent 60 years working with this and was not afraid to talk about it, I just said, well, I know what I watched, and I know it blows the wires out of anything I've ever been taught before, so help me understand. So, Stuart, that's kind of how it started, and that's kind of how someone coming out of a theological tradition that you would say it doesn't make sense, why would you be involved in this, it kind of happened out of necessity, I guess you would say. Carl, in, in your book, in the beginning, you mentioned uh, that we need to look at spiritual warfare um, differently than we do right now. And I'm guessing that came through your education. You talk about how spiritual warfare is kind of described as a two-prong approach. Um, and you said we need to look at it from a three-pronged approach. Can you kind of describe and explain that a little bit? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I start the book, I think, uh, at least one of the early chapters is talking about paradigms are man-made. In other words, they're not inspired of God. Scripture's inspired of God. Man-made paradigms aren't. And what I try and say in that chapter is that I was absolutely committed to a paradigm of there is oppression and possession, because that's all I'd ever heard. That's all I'd ever read from people after I you know, start reading about what's going on with this. And uh, basically, oppression is something that they would say is an annoyance. It's something that can happen to Christians. Uh, it's in no way debilitating. Uh, it's just something that occasionally we all get hit with those Ephesians 6 uh, fiery arrows. Or Revelation 12, 10, 11, we get hit with accusation from the devil, and that's to be expected. And So it's mostly and just, just like temptation and... Um, yeah. and doubt or, and things or, like that yeah or or maybe a, your wife is absolutely beautiful you can edit that if you need to but it would be you're married to a very pretty lady but you're in your car driving and there's another lady on the on the on the on the side of the road and you get some thoughts going through your head and you go i don't even want that where'd that come from yeah it, it's that's why they call them fiery arrows um I have found in the Christian circles, you'd, you'd think that, and we'll get into this later in specificity, but people think, oh, you must be all about, you know, drug addicts, alcoholics, uh, people involved in the occult. That must be how they get into this. I have found the two ways that most often Christians get involved with this. There's a lot of ways, but it's either through fear or through unforgiveness. 
Mm. They look very benign. It's like, I, I don't get it. Just fear is normal and an unforgiveness if someone hurts you, you know, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Those, those become wide open doors. So I'm saying mm. it doesn't have to be the, 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 the drug addicted, you know, uh, Satanist and boy, they could get involved. And that, that was a stereotype that, you know, I had, but at any rate, it's these little arrows and they're nothing. I mean, don't be a drama queen or a drama king and let the arrows bug you. Just smile and walk on. Mm. Or it's Matthew 8 with the demoniac and the guy, you know, lives, you know, buck naked, you know, in the tombs, howls at the moon, hurts people. Just undeniably you know, possessed or something. Just yeah. totally crazy. And then, uh, you know, what I understood was, since I don't see very many people sitting in my congregation, buck naked, breaking chains and howling at the moon, then I don't have to worry about that. So if there's any kind of involvement with demons, it would just simply be these little passing thoughts. And as long as you renew your mind with scripture, that, that all stops. It'll go away because it's just a, you were just sloppy in your thinking. And that's where most of people my age, and I would say, uh, at least a generation up and a generation after. The real change has been in the last 10, 15 years. There are people now calling me from schools that before would mock this, now saying we've got faculty and students that want to talk with you. Mm. But I'm saying for the longest time it was, well, why? Because here's the paradigm. Either it's an irritant but no big deal, we call it oppression, or it's possession, and that means the cat is just totally out of his mind and insane and needs to be locked up somewhere. And so what I challenge in that is, a, is another member of that paradigm. I use the word demonization because that's really the, the word, uh, the demonizomai uh, is the verb, demonizomenos is the participle that's used most often, you know, about 12 times in the New Testament. It's used of both believers and unbelievers. And it just basically means demons causing passivity. I mean, if you want to look at the etymology of the word, it means demon caused passivity. Um, I was, I had someone yesterday in my office talking with, they just, you know, is, is there a possibility that what I'm going through is, is related to demons? Because I've been in real good therapy for the last five years and it never changes. I said, I have no idea because we don't know each other, but I agreed to talk with you. Well, I can't this, I can't that, I'm not strong enough for this, I've never been able to, I'll just lose again. I mean, whatever was going on, it was why she's not sufficient, Jesus isn't sufficient, so what's the use of trying? I say, so the end result is kill yourself. Yeah, I hear that all the time, but I'm a Christian and I don't want to do that, but it's just always so negative and telling me I can't. And I said, that's exactly what the word demonizomenos means. It's a demon-caused passivity. You belong to Christ, you're on the side that wins, but you're supposed to think like a victim. Mm. And if you think about scripture, well, I don't know enough of it. If you think about prayer, well, my prayers bounce off the ceiling. If you think about the love of Jesus, you say, how can I talk to somebody else about the love of Jesus? Because I'm just holding on to the rope and hoping I can hang on till Jesus comes back. And uh, if you think about, I mean, whatever it is, there's just you typically. Now there's a, another side of the coin that, uh, but it, you don't see it very often. And I, I just call it a spiritual elitism. I am more spiritual than you. Mm. Uh, my church is more spiritual than yours. I'm the only one that knows truth. I've got super duper gifts. You've got dud gifts. Mm. If, if only you were like me. And, and it's, I, I've seen demons take advantage of that too. In other words, one takes advantage of fear. 
you're a loser, so why try? I'll just beat you down. And the other is, you are so spiritual, why do you waste your time with Christian riffraff? Because they're not part of God's Green Beret. And if you want to be part of God's chosen few Green Beret, then you got to be just like us and believe just like we do. And I have said, one of them has such a poor view of themselves, they don't expect anybody would be their friend. And the other one has such an overinflated view of themselves that nobody wants to tell them how obnoxious they are, so they just ignore them. But both of them end up isolated. One of them because I don't deserve friends. The other because I don't want friends because they're all spiritual riffraff. They don't, they don't understand you know, everything I do. What I'm saying is that that demonization is something that can be used of believer and unbeliever because it is. I mean, you see both in the New Testament. And I said, how about instead of telling people it's either or, either it's an unbeliever who is out of his mind or it's a believer who can be irritated, but it's just nothing. And those that say they're Christians, but they're debilitated, uh, they're just not standing on faith. They're making it up because they want attention. They're lying because they're doing it deliberately, or they're not really Christians. They tell you they're Christians. They've learned the lingo, but they're just not because Christians can't be bothered by this. And what I said was, I believe that a, 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 a better paradigm, it's not that I'm saying that oppression is simply an irritant. I believe that's true. And people who are demonized, see the word demon, it's talking about just degrees of control. That's all it's talking about. From very light, which would be the oppression, to people, I don't use the word possession anymore because people immediately think I'm saying someone can be owned by the devil. Demons don't own anything. Demons are squatters. There's one owner, that's God, he's the creator. Everything else is just part of his creation. So I'm not giving them a privilege of thinking they own anything. They're, they're renting time and borrowing time just like the rest of us. So what I will say is, to be more accurate, why don't we say, yes, there's oppression, it's the fiery arrows, it's the accusation. Why don't we say that there's demonization, which can happen to believer or unbeliever, and that would be that there's just a step up in the degree of control. So on one hand, I love Jesus, but where did this come from? I, I, I read scripture very faithfully, and then I feel caught by, or as the young lady said, I, she used to say to me, and I didn't believe her. I didn't call her a liar. I just didn't believe her. She just said, I just feel like someone's pushing me towards drugs. And I have heard that statement pushing me towards all kinds of things. And I would say that's, that's impossible. You're just choosing to make some bad choices. So if we get more scripture in you, you'll make good choices. Well, I now believe that there are demons that try to push people into wrong thinking, bad decisions. And then instead of me just kind of, uh, kind of silently going, this is pathetic. Uh, man, why don't, why don't you grow some courage, you know, and, and, and walk with God instead of allowing losers to push you around. Now I start understanding how tricky that can be. And I said it before, I've worked with more missionaries and pastors than you would ever believe. You just wouldn't believe. And I don't share their names because it's nobody's business. And I get real nice little notes back saying I was already involved in very successful ministry, but the thoughts in my head that would tell me what a fraud I am or what a loser I am or what a hypocrite I am or I'd be better off dead, Carl, that stopped. And I say, welcome to warfare. 
But at any rate, so the bottom line to your question is, I've just said, can we add, instead of saying it's oppression and possession, believer, unbeliever, how about we say it actually is possible for believers, and we can work through verses later if you want to follow up with questions, uh, where believers are actually in very difficult situations, which is far more than just an irritant that you just blow off, but it's not the Matthew 8 where they're out of their mind and hurting people and, you know, again, howling at the moon and running naked and break. It's not that. It's something in between. So my chapter on that is saying, how about we just change the paradigm to, if you have to keep the word possession to say the people that are just nuts, you can keep it. But how about in the middle, we put that word demonization, demonized. And then how about the, 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 the other would be an oppressed. So is there oppression? Yes. Is there demonization? Yes. It, the, the degrees of control have just stepped up. Are there people that just actually need to be locked up, you know, for their own protection and protecting others? Sure. But it, it provides an opportunity for the believer who's saying, instead of you assuming I'm lying and making all this up, can, can do you have anything other than read more scripture and pray harder? Because I've heard that forever, I've done it for so long, and now I just get mocked. And here's the mocking, I can predict it, and I'm usually right with it. Uh, when I, You've been to a therapist, you've been to counseling, even a Christian counselor, it didn't work. Uh, you've been to the state in lockup situations, doesn't help. You've been on a number of drugs prescribed to you that uh, dull the voices down, but they don't eliminate them. Uh, just like right now, see, you're just a loser. Uh, the pastor that prayed for you didn't help. The elders that prayed over you and anointed you with oil or whatever they went through, that didn't help. See, you're beyond help. If you ever had salvation, it's gone. More likely, you were never saved in the first place because God hates you. And now all you are is an embarrassment. So doesn't the Bible say that there's no greater love than a man lay down his life for a friend? Yes. Well, see, there are so many people who are missing Jesus because you have verbalized that you're a Christian. And they look at you and say, if you're a Christian and this is what it does for you, I don't want anything to do with that. So people are actually running away from Christ because of your horrible, horrible testimony. So if you would kill yourself, there would probably be friends and family that would say, what a selfish thing to do. But in reality, you would know, no, I'm laying down my life so that others can become Christians and they will quit missing Christ because of my bad testimony. And I've had people look at me straight in the eye in my office and say, I, God's the one telling me to kill myself. Wow. I'm saying, no, he's not. Well, yeah, it would help people because of my bad testimony. No, you're, that's not what's going on. God wouldn't do that. Well, that's what I thought it was. Yeah. So what I'm suggesting is, uh, and I've said it, maybe killed it uh, too, too, too much, but there are Christian people who feel like, I know I'm on the inside because I know the gospel, I've responded to the gospel, I know I love Jesus, but either I'm told I must not be a Christian or I'm making things up. I feel like I'm on the outside looking in, even when I'm at church. So my resolve now is, why go to church just if Jesus loves me, just come sooner, Jesus, and you can do with me whatever you decide to do with me. 
But anytime I open my mouth up, I just look like a fool because people just get turned off because I'm such a rotten example. So I'll just be quiet and hope I'm doing Jesus a favor. There are millions. There are millions of Christians who have lived with that on a daily basis, and they figure no one understands, no one gets it, it's never going to change. So either I go silent and live because I'm not going to kill myself, or I'll do God and everybody else a favor and just kill myself, and then at least I'm not hurting other people with my testimony. So yes, that's why I wrote that chapter, because I think in telling people I am addicted and hooked eternally to a man-made paradigm that says there is only oppression for for Christians, there is only possession and they're whacked for non-Christians, it leaves a whole group of people in the middle out that are actually struggling, but it's dismissed. Again, you're making it up, you're lying, or you're just not saved. I am no longer comfortable doing that. So that gives an opportunity there, I think. I want to unpack a little further this idea in your book and in Scripture. It speaks of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because Mm -hmm. I think using that same paradigm, the the two-pronged versus three-pronged, we tend to think like it's either, what I find mostly is you have world and the flesh. Those are the two that everybody's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's your temptation to sin, but it's all you. And by eliminating that, the devil, and more literally meaning like demonic forces, since the devil is not omnipotent or omniscient and omnipresent and all that, he has forces though, and, and they are at work all the time everywhere. And their only mission is to destroy your witness, to destroy you, get you to be convinced that it's your own ideas that, that you're thinking, as you, you were just sharing. So can you help us unpack just a little bit, just briefly, what the world, the flesh, and the devil are? And, and are, they, are they mutually exclusive? Like, hey, today I'm under attack by the flesh, but tomorrow it's the devil. Or is it kind of a, a blurry ground in there? Well, first, I'll appreciate the fact you said briefly, because that tells me I gave you more than what you wanted on some of the others, so I'll try and honor that. It's gold. But uh, like I I said, you just rein me in anytime you need to. Chapter 4, I write about what does solicitation from the world look like, and how do you respond? Chapter 5, what does solicitation from the flesh look like, and how do you respond? Chapter 6, what does supernatural or demonic solicitation look like, and how can you effectively respond? Again, my training, and again, I will just, I will say it's been the training of many, many of my colleagues, more kind of what you said. You can ignore the demonic because that's just kind of hyperactive Christians that, I don't know, they've got too much time on their hands. Right. But what you really have to deal with is the world and the flesh. And uh, the Bible is very clear, you know, in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, James 4, 4, that we have an enemy identified as the world, and we're told we can't love God and the world at the same time. If we do, we're not telling the truth. And uh, that the things of this world fade away, the things of God abide forever, so I've got to learn how to evaluate when I'm solicited, what is from God lasts for eternity, and what is from the world, which may or may not, may be beautiful. There's lots of things in this world that are beautiful. It's, you know, lots of tinsel. It's just that it's going to burn like trash at the beam of seed judgment of Christ, so don't give your life for it. If you drive a nice car, I don't begrudge you that. Uh, if you're stealing money to buy that car, I'm saying that was a real bad bad choice. But at any rate, 
Um, are there struggles with the world? Yes, there surely are. Are there struggles with the flesh? Now, see, let me toss one thing quick. The world solicitation is always external. I remember people saying, don't say always and never. Well, I'll say always because it always is external. I still love Motown, guys. I, I mean, uh, uh, I grew up on Motown, and I converted some of my uh, office mates to Motown because they didn't even know what it was, many of them. <laughs> and I start flipping discs. I have a five-disc recorder with five different you know, Motown, and after a while it was like, man, that's not Christian music. I go, does it have to be? Well, you're a pastor. I go, okay, I'll close my door and enjoy my music. After a while, I'd get people going, hey, you want to put some of that music back on? That stuff is really good. I'd never, I'd never heard yeah. of the Temptations and the Tops and Stevie Wonder. and uh, I didn't know Spinners. I, I didn't even know who they were. I go, well, you missed out. But uh, at any rate, whether it's through music, whether it's through billboards, solicitation from the world is external. Uh, uh, Paul says in two different places, Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 25, and, and in Galatians uh, 5, 17, that solicitation from the flesh is internal. The spirit wars against the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit. They're in opposition to one another that you may not do the things you choose. Clearly talking to believers and clearly talking about an internal war. Or in the Romans 7 passage, it says on four different occasions, there's something evil still about me even though I want to do good. Mm -hmm. The things I want to do, I don't always do. The things I don't want to do, I do. What in the world is going on? He's a believer, but he's still saying there's this internal conflict. So I've said, is the world with its external solicitation real? Yes. Can it knock you off the rails? Yes, it can. You can sell out to the world. I don't have to have a picture of a naked woman in front of me to undress a woman in my head. I am perfectly capable of lust from the flesh that is internally driven and not having to, the convenience of blaming it on some kind of movie or a picture of billboard because I wasn't even around that. So I'm saying, is it two different entities? Yes, it is. And then you throw the supernatural on and you say, then there's the supernatural solicitation. And, and see, here's what I, why I try and I was told that, again, I called it tube sock theology. As long as you pray... Any size fits everything. That that's all you've got to that's all you've got to do. And yet, when I read about the in the scripture, when I read about struggles, solicitation from the world, I'm told evaluate it, say yes to God, say no to the things that are temporal. When I see when I solicit it internally, the flesh, I see Second Timothy two two. It's too hot. Run. Well, that's not saying stand there and evaluate it and make a pros and cons list. Or I see uh, uh, in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, uh, you put off the old man, put on the new through the renewing of your mind. It's a mental battle. Or I see Galatians 5, 16, walk controlled by the spirit. You will not carry out the strong desires of the flesh. I'm going, those are four different responses. Three directed towards the flesh, one directed toward the world, but none of them are the same. And then when I look at the demonic, I see a James chapter 4, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Mm -hmm. uh, an Ephesians 6.13, do everything you can to stand. It means I oppose the demonic stuff. Uh, Peter, in, in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9, you know, uh, resist the devil firmly in your faith, he will run from you. you. So I suggest in those chapters, when a good response to the flesh is put on your Nikes or whatever you wear and run because it's too hot, but a biblical response to demonic activity is resist them. I state that it means I resist you, I oppose you, I stand against you, I'm fighting. 
I'm saying, if I don't know how I'm getting hit, do I hit, run, or fight? I don't know what to do because I don't know how I'm getting hit. Mm. Can they overlap? And you hinted at that in your question. Yes, they can, which just makes it all the more complicated. But what I have suggested is once you become more effective recognizing where the hits are coming from, it's much easier to say, well, what's the defensive response that God has given me to take care of this issue? And then instead of losing battles that I've been losing, I start winning battles. And after a while, I go, man, that was a fluke. I actually won. And then I won again. That could get habit for me. That'd be great. But I just know the bubble's going to break somewhere. And then after a while, I'll get a call saying, Carl, I don't win them all. I'm not Gabriel's twin, but I am sure winning more than I lose. And now I look forward when I wake up in the morning. God, what do you have in store for me? Instead of waking up going, I'm just going to get drugged through the mud again. Man, what, what's the use of going on after a while? So yes, world, flesh, devil, all three are identified. So I would suggest when, when I speak for Pentecostal groups, I speak for anybody that wants me to talk, right? Uh, Pentecostals are my brothers. They're not my enemies. And I'm not an enemy to someone else because of sign gifts. At least I shouldn't be. That's very short-sighted. I say God gives gifts as he chooses. That's his call. I'm not going to tell you what gifts you should have. Just be faithful and used to the glory of God, whatever you've been given. I'm not a cessationist, right? So that someone would say, how can you be an ordained Baptist minister and say that? I say, because I think that's what Scripture is. I think that's, I think that's the easiest to support from Scripture. I do qualify it. You can tell me. You can profess to have any gifts you want. But because you profess, it doesn't make it so. In other words, I've seen so, so much deception in my 40 years of working with this this kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. But bottom line, where am I going? I'm saying when I learn how to identify, I know how to respond. If I never learn how to identify, so it's like uh, Charles Swindoll. He's got a little book called Demonism that I read back in the 80s. And he said, he said, Christians need to study how the enemies work so you know how to respond. And then he said, for the Christian, basically, that wants to ignore the demonic, he said, you're going to be called canvasback jack. Because if you're a boxer, you're going to be laying on your back, looking up with stars in your eyes, so you're going to get knocked out. Because he says, being ignorant of how your enemies work, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's what he's saying. He says, being ignorant of how your enemy works doesn't give you an advantage. It puts you at a disadvantage. So, so I have one, one Christian group say, Carl, just talk about the demons. Man, that's the good stuff. You know, we don't care about the other two. And then I go to another church, and they say, don't even bring up the demons. Just talk about the flesh. That's the good stuff. And I'm saying, when you compartmentalize this thing and say, I'm really good dealing with one, but I ignore the other, you're just an, an invitation away from getting beat up. The scripture identifies world, flesh, and devil. So how about we recognize world, flesh, and devil? I can't guarantee that I'm only going to be attacked by the world, or that I'm only going to face opposition from the flesh, or I'm only going to face opposition from demons. I can't guarantee that. So how about I learn how to respond to all three of them and say, if they come my way, God has given me an adequate way through Scripture to respond to any of the three so that I can win instead of lose. So I'm not with either one of the brothers in either camp when they say, just focus it here. I'm saying that's, that's incomplete. No, just focus it here. Do you realize you're doing the same thing? You've just picked different objects to focus on, but you're both saying, let's just kind of focus. And I go, it leaves you at a huge disadvantage unless you can guarantee you're only going to face one kind of opposition throughout your life. I don't think you can guarantee that. Yeah, if you look at military victories, you know, the, they don't win by going, hey, 
we're only going to focus on hand-to-hand combat or we're only going to focus on drone strikes or something like that we we saw that historically even in the last decade or two where they tried just one approach and it just ended up emboldening the enemy in other ways and i think we see that a lot in in christianity to your point you know when we only focus in on one thing uh and usually that's as a result of like you were saying we have our paradigms we have our preferences we have the things that we we like the most um And we don't want to deal with the things that make us uncomfortable. Well, Scripture is filled with things that make us uncomfortable. We should be uncomfortable as we read it, because Scripture is, as we think we're studying it, it's really studying us. It's it's showing us, revealing our heart. Uh, And I, I love that you pointed out, too, like, the enemy works in trying to attack us with those things like fear, those things like um, lust and temptation and uh, and self um, self deprecation, I guess, would be one way I guess you could put it. Uh, I think you used a different term, but all of that, we we just kind of accept, you know, like people go, that's my, well, I'm just a, I'm this type of personality. I'm an INFJ or an INFP or whatever, you know. Or a number three. I'm a number three on the Enneagram or something. All, all things that it's like, okay, not in the Bible, but we'll, we'll work with you on this. Well, Carl, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I would, like I said, we could go on and on like this forever. And uh, maybe we'll have to have you back on because I feel like we've only scratched the surface. Um, how can people find you? How can they find your books uh, and uh, any anything else like that? Um, well, my, my website is transferablecrosstraining.org. But I had people years ago say, that's too hard to remember. <laughs> so, my, see, you're a computer person. I'm not. I am totally at the mercy of people who know what they're doing. So... One of the people just changed. He said, okay, they can still get there, but they can just go to carlpain.org. He says, more people remember your name than remember the other. And somehow in the cyberspace world, they've got it where they both hook up. So they can do that. The Spiritual Warfare book, they can get, you know, Christian stores, Amazon. Uh, you know, they're more, more than, you know, happy to get that. I've pastored here at Antioch Bible Church for more than 30 years suppose if someone wanted to just call the church and say is is carl there um any any of that can work awesome well thank you so much we really appreciate it and um we we will uh see you guys later thank you guys for listening and thank you for watching the show god bless